And we're live. Welcome, everyone, to the Feel Inspired Podcast. My name is Amit Soda. Today we have episode 54 already. It's just going so quick, almost as old as I am. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I've got an incredible guest today. And funny enough, this guest, actually, I just came across him on TikTok. As everyone knows, I'm quite into TikTok at the moment. And we, I just came across one of his videos. And in fact, someone actually sent it to me the day after I discovered you as well, which is just uncanny. Um, and I just thought, why not let's get him on and just have a bit of a chat? And because he's a he's a Londoner himself, but lives in New York now. And I, I thought we could talk all things dating. He's actually got a book out called The First Date Fix, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Why the first date is the most important. Before we delve in, for anyone who's new to the podcast, like I said, my name is Amit Soda. This is the Feel Inspired Podcast. This is where I hope to inspire you in the same way that I've been inspired by the books I've read, the articles I've seen, the videos, the TED Talks, and all the rest of it. And I'm hopefully and hoping to recreate that experience for you. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome my guest, Trey Hamilton, uh, former Londoner, now New Yorker. Um, but <laughs> welcome to the Feel Inspired Podcast, my friend. How are you doing? Good, good, good. I always say uh, England by birth, London by the grace of God. So I will always <laughs> be like uh, heart and heart. But right now I'm over here exploiting uh, America for their money. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a, it's interesting, isn't it? I um, was watching, I, I watched another video on TikTok and someone talking about that. Obviously, the expense of living in somewhere, you know, certain parts of the States or in fact anywhere in the States, but then the capacity to earn is also equally greater as well. Um, so um, I don't know. Is that your experience, would you say? Yeah, I, I feel like your dollar uh, can stretch far more than than the British pound. Um, you know, for example, to, to get where I am in America right now would have probably taken me an extra five years in the UK. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's just such a young country, right? England, if yeah. you look at it in a, in a, in a marketing standpoint, the market in, in England is oversaturated, whereas, you know, you can still get organic growth in America, so to speak. Yeah, no, very true. Very true. And I think that, um, if you look at the example of someone like Jay Shetty, I think he wouldn't be where he was today if he didn't, you know, end up out in the US doing what he's doing now. I think some of those opportunities are only going to come in a place like that. Um, but um, we'll get onto the topic in a bit. Um, I would love to hear a little bit of your background, but we were just chatting just before we became live and um, we were talking about, uh, you know, all things dating and we we're just talking about books because you've got a book and I was mentioning that um, I've got two books in progress at the moment and one is called Unlimited Your Mind because my blog is actually called Unlimited Choice. When I first set it up 17 years ago, initially it was going to be called The Power of Choice, and I couldn't get that URL. So um, a friend of mine suggested, what about Unlimited Choice? So I thought, yeah, that sounds good, so I'll get it. And then I didn't realize, I never really thought about what does my name mean, and I realized it actually means unlimited. So that's how that came about. And then the second one is uh, all about dating as well. I won't reveal the title just yet, but uh, but it is going to be something along the lines of dating and relationships as well. So that is in the works. But uh, we'll delve into your book very shortly, Trey, as well. But I'd love to hear a bit about your background and kind of how you ended up in the States and also how you ended up, ended up in this line of work. What made you write this book and what's your current state of play when it comes to your personal dating journey? Wow. Uh, a lot of questions. So I guess uh, I'll start with the first. Uh, I've been in America for, for about 10 years now. I actually moved here for love after I graduated from uh, Hartford University. Nice. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. So I kind of had my tail between my legs after about three years of being here. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, like, do I go home back back to London or do I just hang out in America for a while? And I 
kind of focused on my career, had a few promotions on the way. Um, and then I was like, all right, let me, let me actually, you know, start dating again. I'm in my late twenties. Let's see what happens. And, uh, you know, I, I just looked like a fool for about three months. I was going on all these first dates and, and the women were not feeling me, uh, you know, come to realize I was the problem. <laughs> so <laughs> I like read, I think it was, uh, about 139 books on dating in, in general. And they started to, once you read past 10 dating books, they all pretty much sound the same, but I believe that you can always learn something new from different facets of information. So then I started to pick different parts from it and I literally wrote down the most important things and I started to apply them. And I was like, Cause it's not shit. necessarily the, 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 the information may not be new, but it's the way it's presented resonates with you. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of them, the thing that frustrated me is either they were specifically for men, like men, you know, you're an alpha male, <laughs> These women are gold diggers and they want your money. Or they were towards women where they were like, if he breaks your heart again. So I was just like, this is kind of ridiculous because things aren't that myopic. So I started my own journey. I, I did my own dating consultancy service that started off as a joke in a bar. Um, and then it caught steam in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, which was the, the second state I lived in. Um, and I just started doing that on the side and uh, started writing a book for a passion project. And then someone was like, hey, why don't you do social media? I was like, I, I hate social media. But <laughs> once I started doing it, people were like, yeah, like I like your videos. And I was like, holy shit, really? Like I kind of pulled that one out of my ass. Um, and wait, am I allowed to swear in here? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. This is, a, this is a podcast. You can say whatever the hell you like. It's all good. Okay. Any, anything goes. Anything goes. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Let's go. Right. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and that's just really how I started my journey. And, and ever since then, I've just, to me, I believe that dating gets increasingly harder if you don't really know what you're doing every year. And I also think that even your most attractive woman or your most attractive man is struggling right now because now everyone has infinite access and the, the status of looks, money, um, you know, and, and how you look just aren't really that important anymore. There are just so many different factors. Yeah. And, and it's constantly evolving, right? I mean, I was just doing a bit of look and research the other day. Well, research, you know, Googling. Let's, let's call it what it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Googling and, you know, like uh, Match came out in 1995. So obviously that changed the face of dating massively. And then Tinder first emerged in 2012, I think it was, right? So obviously that's added a whole new dimension. Um so then that was the, you know, the introduction of swipe dating. And now you've got, you know, multiple dating apps. I think um, one of our friends, um, Daniel, is interviewing um, dating app owners at the moment on his Instagram. And there's something like 5,000 different dating apps worldwide, of which I think 2,500 are in the United States alone. But with all the advent of these tools, what it hasn't prepared most people for is the change in dynamic, the change in... Um, you know, how do we deal with speaking to so many people or seeing so many people or, you know, how do we navigate this world full stop? And I think that you're, you're right. You know, it's kind of added so many different dimensions. And I think it doesn't matter how good looking a person is. It doesn't matter how good they are, even socially. It doesn't necessarily mean it means they're good at dating. Mm -hmm. And that was my problem. I remember as well when I was younger. I mean, I'm a lot older than you are now. <laughs> I'm an old man now by comparison. But but when I was younger, I was good in social situations. But as soon as it came to a woman that I liked or an individual that I liked or found attractive, 
game over. Like I would just melt into this stiff tin man robot type of character who would end up creeping women out. And it was just, it was just one of these things that no one ever teaches us, especially in South Asian culture in the UK. No one teaches us what, what dating is about. Our parents never tell us, uh, you know, we're grown up with this history of, you know, arranged marriages, introductions, things like that. So we are even less socialized with the dating world than most other people, most other races and backgrounds are. So that was, you know, that was our thing. But, um, but it's interesting. How old are you now? If you don't want me to ask, or should I say how young do you know? Take a guess. Take a guess. 34. Oh, bang on. Cool. Blimey. Uh, Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Wow. I can tell, I can, that, tell by the wisdom in your words. That's what it is. Yeah, thank you. That was, I, no one's ever guessed it outright before. That was just, <laughs> wow, good for you. Ah, thanks, man. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so I, I think um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in your words, which is why I kind of, I, I, from your look style, I would have definitely said a lot younger. But are, are you, so are you mo at the moment currently still actively dating? No, no, I haven't dated for about a year and a half. Um, so, but you're single. Uh, I mean, I'm in a relationship. Oh, yeah. you're in a relationship, right? Okay, so yeah. that's why you're not dating, right? Gotcha. So up until that point, because your your experience is much more recent than mine. When I was when I met my wife, it was 2015. So you know, swipe dating was there. You had plenty of fish. You had Tinder. You had all sorts of dating apps, but not as much as they are now. Um, so, what was your experience? And what were you hearing from other people of their experience of? you know, dating apps and the whole dating world. And what were the biggest frustrations you were finding from most people? What, you know, what are their biggest bugbears and what was your kind of initial advice to them? Yeah. So I, I, I think that the biggest difference that people have to be aware of is that a man and a woman's experience is complete night and day. Meaning yeah. that for, for women, you know, men, a lot of men on there are, are there to hook up. Right. So, for a woman, if you get, you know, 500 matches, probably only 10 of them you're actually going to go on a date with and half of them are going to want to sleep with you and the other half don't really know what they want, which means you only really get two that are interested. That's if you're interested in them, right? So women are always going to get matches, right? So they have to figure out and decipher who's the person they actually want, which is a whole different story in itself. For men, because women get so many matches women are allowed to be far more selective. So how you would have made an effort face-to-face, -face, you have to maximize that 10 times just to get basic interactions from a woman. And that's if your profile is good. That's if your pictures are good. And that's if the messages are deemed to be acceptable on her part. So there's a huge imbalance between men and women, even if you are that person's type, because there's always going to be another option. So the effort that's made is different from both parties. So we might be equal in the real world, but in online dating, it's the only place where people can be actively discriminatory against someone else without actually being discriminatory, right? So if someone doesn't like short men, they can swipe left and they're not going to experience any judgment from anyone else. If someone doesn't like the way he said hello, they can unmatch and completely erase you and they're not going to get any judgment from anyone else. So it's two diminishing values, right? And then on top of that, you're competing with essentially the top, you know, 10 to 20% of men and women. So if a man looks like a movie star, he's probably dealing with most of the women that you want to deal with. If a woman looks, it's different for women because even if a woman is average looking, if someone's endgame is I just want to sleep with someone, 
then it doesn't really matter. And and not all women are wired that way. So the balance between men and women are, are always going to be different. So when you get into online dating, it's probably going to take you about 90 days to figure out the social dynamics. Then when you figure out the social dynamics, then you have to figure out how to capitalize on your strengths and match those social dynamics together. Yeah. And I tell you what, I was uh, quite surprised. Uh, I think we have a mutual friend as well, uh, James Priest, right? He was, on the oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was on the podcast a couple of months ago and he was talking because his numbers blew my mind. And he was saying that actually men out women outnumber women, sorry, on dating apps nine to one as an average. Yeah. And I, I was like, what? That is true. And um, so it, it, which was kind of really contrary to my experience because of the singles group that my wife and I run. It's been 60% women, 40% men since pretty much we started, which has been, you know, five years. And so um, and so in that experience for us and the people on there, it's always been a case. There's always been more women available to the men, but dating apps are, co- are the complete opposite. And actually, there's far more men. And so as a man, you've got to do a lot more to stand out than say what the woman has to do for many reasons, of course, as well, you know, guys are looking at visual things very carefully, but women tend to probably delve into the profile more. Um, Mm -hmm. Not always and not in all cases, but just generally speaking, I think that's a a safe assumption to make, but you have to kind of like get to that point first. And I, you know, the reason why we're talking about this, of course, we want to talk about first dates, but let's just talk about the bit just before that, just to get us to the uh, right state. So I think, um, What's been when when you were dating, by the way, as well, when you were before you met your current partner, what was like, what were you finding and what, what did you do then after you got to that point? What did you do to help get yourself, uh, you know, after you read these books? What were the certain things that you changed? What are the main things, the main key points you discovered and how did you implement them? And then what was the result afterwards? What did you find? Oh, gosh, I, I think the main thing I discovered is is, is life isn't fair. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like if if you call your mom every week and you're a good person and your friends think you're a good bloke, it doesn't really mean anything when it comes to to, to dating <laughs> community, right? That's just yeah. kind of the reality. Two, you you have to learn how to self brand. So if you have to learn how to self brand, you really have to dig deep as to who you are. What do you really have to offer someone? What makes you a good partner in the past? What's going to make you a good partner in the future? Three, you have to work on a lot of shit because, you know, the reality is, is that relationships work with people who have a good sense of self-worth, a good sense of self-respect for themselves, and more importantly, a good sense of self-respect for for each other. And you really, really have to work on your communication. And I don't just mean flirting. I don't just mean having positive communication. I mean, how do you communicate when there's conflict? How do you communicate when there's a misunderstanding? How do you communicate via text? How do you communicate via the phone? And you really, really, really have to understand the opposite sex. A lot of people think they do and they don't. People might know how to attract the opposite sex, but you have to understand how to interact with the opposite sex. You have to empathize. If you can't have empathy for a man you're dating and their predicaments, And if you can't have empathy for a woman you're dating in their predicament, you're not going to get very far, especially with women, because from a young age, unfortunately, they learn to to be very self-aware because they have to be, because there's always that variable of of creepy men who like young girls. So they have to be 
very attentive to what a good person is and what a good person isn't, which means women can smell a fox in a hen house a mile away. So if you're a man who's just talking to talk and you, your intentions are pretty clear, they're not really going to mess around with that. So you have to understand as a man, what's it like to date as a woman? And as a woman, you have to understand what's it like to date for men. The most successful men and women who are in happy relationships are able to empathize. If you're not able to do that, you're not going to get anywhere because all you're going to be thinking is, well, what do I want? What do I want? Like the more you think about what you want and you don't try and look at how it might be perceived by the other person, you might get lucky every now and then, but the same thing is going to happen and these people will leave you. Yeah, and and I think that's well put when you said beyond the flirting. I think that uh, it's it, it's very true if you can't go beyond that because the flirting phase is very relatively short. It's just that initial interaction, really, isn't it? More than anything, and then you get into the real deep stuff. You, I mean, the flirting never stops, but if you can't don't know how to get beyond that, then usually it has the same effect as if you didn't know how to flirt. You know, if you if you don't can't balance the two. Um, and then, then things just tend to kind of fall to the wayside. They kind of just fizzle out very quickly. So that's a very, very good point. Um, and then let's talk about the kind of whole idea and notion of first dates, because I think that what you said and what you've written where the first date is the most important, I find quite fascinating, actually, because in some ways I disagree slightly, but I wanted to hear your take on it. Like, what makes you think? Um, why is it the first date is the most important? Um, uh, and you know, how did you, how did you get, get to this conclusion as well? And like, what made you re realize this or what made you think this? So uh, recruiters know if they're going to hire someone or pass them on in the next phase of the interview process in the first 60 seconds of meeting them. Right. Mm. You know, if you watch the movie in the first 60 seconds of seeing the trailer, you know if someone's a good person in 30 seconds, psychologically, you're wired to do that. Whether you want to stop it or not, it's called unconscious bias, which I'm sure you know of, right? Yeah. First impressions matter. There's all these corny phrases. You only have one chance to make a first impression, et cetera, et cetera. If someone doesn't know you, it's excruciatingly hard for them to move past a bad first impression, even if it wasn't your day, even if you had a long day at work, even if you hung over, whatever it is, it's very, very hard to change people's opinion unless they really like you. And if it's a first date, there's not really a lot to go off that would make them really like you. So the first date is just as critical as anything else, because what you're doing is you're showing them, hey, this is what you have to look forward to. And because everyone and their granddad has options in the dating marketplace, you need to set yourself out more than anyone else to let them know that you are the most viable option. The only real opportunity you're ever going to have to do that isn't on the phone, isn't via a video chat, isn't via text. It's a face-to-face -face meeting. Once you can master that, once you can understand how to allow people to really, really like you from the first date, Everything else is really an inevitability and it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. Yeah, I I get that completely, especially your analogy about the, you know, the job or the movie and stuff. And you can make it, and we, you know, let's face it, we live in a world where that's probably even more uh, prominent than ever before, right? Because people just quick, 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 right? You know, like I'm sure you've, you've done the same thing I do as well. If you don't like a TikTok video in the first second, you just swipe up and next. 
right? Exactly. That's how we're wired now. Exactly. It is. It is how we wired, right? And um, the reason I said what I said was because uh, one of our favorite couples who met through our our, our singles group was uh, a couple called Parish and Oshima, and they they met and uh, they had a first date uh, after which she wasn't interested. But what happened was he'd already organized the second date. So he'd actually already done everything he planned, where they were going, what they were doing, everything. And he kind of just called her, said, oh, you know, let's meet up. I've got everything organized. And that was it. So they kind of she was just like, all right, then, so, you know, she kind of felt sorry for him in a sense, like he's just done everything. So they they went on the second date. And then after that, they, you know, things changed. He was very playful. He was very flirty. He was um, um, uh, they went bowling, I think it was. Right. So something very simple. But he was just at the beginning of the the, the bowling session, he was just very uh, cheeky he was like look if I win you have to kiss me if you win I have to kiss you or something like that it was just something very similar he did silly he did uh, and that was it and that kind of caught her a little bit she was like oh it's kind of nice and just generally he was kind of fun playful all the good stuff and the rest is history and they're married they've got a kid now and you know they're doing really well um and and uh, yeah, I know it's, it's incredible. It's one of our, one of my favorite stories of you know our success success stories, um, and also as well. So on top of that, uh, I think that most of us on a first date, even those who are quite very well socialized, tend to get quite nervous or nervy on a first date. And we have, you know, this thing that sometimes is very hard. It's like a you know a screen that comes down. It's very hard to penetrate for all of us as well. You know. Let's face it, how many of us are, you know, ourselves at an interview or just a first meeting or networking event? You know, you've been there a few times, you you get used to it and you get you, you're, you know, pretty much yourself after that. But very few of us are adept at being ourselves at a first encounter, whether it's a date or otherwise. So that was my thought on this as well, that most of us tend to not be able to be comfortable being ourselves until probably much later. And this is why when people ask, should I give someone a chance if I didn't feel any attraction? Well, did you get along? Yeah, well, go for it. Have a second date. You just don't know, do you, right? You know, you might feel differently after the second date. I can't promise that you will, but you may do. So that was kind of my thinking. I mean, like, what would you say to that? So there's there's a there's a joke where they say a, a man goes on a first date with a woman, she shows up and he says, well... I think your outfit looks terrible. You know, I think your shoes are rubbish and you smell a bit. And she said, oh, my God, how can you say that? And he goes, well, now you don't have to worry about me saying I don't treat you the way I used to. Right. This is it from the jump. Right. Now, obviously, this is a, an unrealistic expectation. But the idea from the first date fix is that essentially you're putting everything on the table from the jump. So that doesn't mean you go on a first date and you're like, oh, my granddad passed away when I was 12 and my life story. And here's the meadows like you don't give people your life story. Right. But you give people the most genuine and best version of yourself from the jump, meaning that you don't wait to show people who you are. You don't wait to, to open up and you just say, hey, this is it. This is the package. Do you accept or do you not accept? It's just dating at its rawest form in the sense that we just don't have time to waste anymore, you know, life. And then time is something that you can't buy back. So if you put everything out there and you're 100% yourself, then there really isn't, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose because if they like it, then great. Now, you know that you don't have to put on a front because this is who I am. If they don't, then it's just one date and you'll never have to see that person again. And what makes your situation about the, the friend you had mentioned before interesting 
is that he went an extra mile. He went an extra effort. He pre-planned the second day before the first day. Had he had not done that, he probably would never have met her again, which means he made a con concentrated effort on the first date to plan the second date. So if you go the extra mile on the first date, you're always going to see results. It might not go into your favor, but you are going to learn something from that. And what people don't understand is that dating now has to be like an exercise. You know, if, if you go to the gym at least four days a week, in 90 days, you're going to see progress. You know, the average person, if they had 33 dates in a year, one of those dates means that they might find their life partner that they could actually marry. So that means essentially, if you go on a date, if you go on three dates a month, by the end of the year, you're probably going to be in a successful relationship. So the more people do that, it doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be intimate. You don't have to kiss. There doesn't have to be any sex involved. But if you just go on three first dates, uh, you know, every month for a year, you're probably going to find someone. But the reality is, is that people don't want to make that kind of efforts anymore. You, you're absolutely right. And I say to people as well that, you know, if on our group, we do this thing. Sometimes I do it every few months. I just put up a three date challenge every month for a month. Just get three dates that month. Funny enough, I, that's the number we put. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because um, the analogy I give to people is like, you know, if you play tennis once every three months, do you really think you're going to get any better? No, of course not. If you want to improve at something, you've got to do it regularly. I mean, minimum at least twice a week, three times a week or something. To see, like, as your gym example, if you want to see real progress, real progress, then you only see the fruits of your labor after a certain period of time, you know, whether it's 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, then you're going to start to see progress. But if you're only doing and what I describe to most people as yo-yo dating, they've got on one or two dates over the course of a month, potentially, if that, and then one of them is really shit and they're like, ah, oh, that was crap. I'm not going to go on a date anymore because, you know, people are just rubbish. And then they take a three month break and then they start again. And then the first one is rubbish and then they take another three month break. And then it's just game over anyway, because they lose any sort of mojo, momentum, whatever, anything they can't. It's like, you have to get over the crappy ones first before you can get to some of the good ones. You have to have that expectation. You're going to get some real, real jerks and bitches in the beginning, but that's life. That is the way the cookie crumbles. And you just have to get over that. And like you said, right, if you can do it consistently. And one of the other things I say to people as well, if you if you put in a, in the same way we put everything in our calendars, right, but time for ourselves or even a sacred date night, one date night a week, which is your date night, right? And you can, if you don't have a date lined up, use that time for whatever you want. But let's say it's a Thursday evening. That one evening a week is your sacred date night. So that ideally, if you know you happen to have a date, you can say, say to someone straight away, oh, I'm actually free on Thursday if you are too, or whatever, whatever day it is, it doesn't matter. But you've got that free date. And, and if there's nothing there, you plan a date with a friend, with your family, with your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, whatever you do something, go to the movies by yourself, go out for dinner by yourself, who cares, right? But you've got to do something. And it comes through that consistency of just repeating, doing again and again and again, and eventually you get there and, you know, you get the more dates you have. This certainly happened for me when I got past my really awkward phase, when I had real like 10 dates, probably real off the bat, like quick, quick, quick. Like I think for me, it was actually two big speed dates with about 30 ladies there. When I did mm -hmm. that twice in quick succession, that's after that. It was after that the nerves started to vanish. 
And when I did that, then I got onto the one-to-one -one dates and I got more and more comfortable with that. And then after my 300 dates over three years, that's when I was, I felt, I call myself a master. I did get good at it. I was so good at it. It was natural. It was like second nature to me. It wasn't even mm -hmm. a struggle or even a thought anymore. It was just, it was actually an afterthought in the end, but because I just done it so much. And that was what the key thing was for me. And you, you know, you're, you're spot on though. You've got to, you've got to do it. And you know, I do agree with you in that respect that you've just got to, you can nail it. If you can nail it on the first date, really show them that actually you're worth investing in a second date, then you've done the job, you've done the work. Yeah, 100%. And going off what you said, you know, I could only imagine how lucky you were to have so much growth within those 300 days, right? Like, I feel like, you know, just going on 50 dates in, in the span of six months means that you're going to have so much incredible internal growth. And if people look at it as a learning exercise, as well as something that could potentially be in their future, that's something that's going to bode well for you. W what we're living in right now is the abundance living when it comes to dating. Our parents and their parents before them, to be real, they dated with scarcity. You could really yeah. date 23 mile geographical reference if then and to be even realer you know your parents were asian my parents were black they could only really date back then asian um asian people and black people right yeah. that that was it you dated within your race which means their choices were even more limited right so you didn't have to have a good first date because you didn't have a lot of options right um, even in, in the 90s, when you, when you look at shows like Friends and other comedy shows, they all dated people in their proximity because that was really all they had or they were, yeah. you know, going to face to face events and people weren't behind computers because people didn't really use computers that much apart from when they were at work. Right. So back then, all of those things, competition was never rife because if you knew someone in your local vicinity, they pretty much had eyes for you because there really wasn't anyone else, right? But now you do have to learn dating. Now you do have to study communication tactics. Now you do have to study how to make yourself attractive because the competition is so, so heavy because you have to look at it this way, right? If if you're a man and you see a gorgeous woman, right? You're, you're at uh, London Underground, you know, you're getting your tickets. She's getting tickets. Oh, hey. Uh, you just got Bakerloo line, eh? <laughs> it's a bit of a Sunday, right? And and you might be thinking to yourself, this is my shot, and she might reject you, right? Why? She might even have found you attractive, but she's getting messages from dudes on Instagram who she doesn't know. She's getting messages from Facebook because she's in various Facebook groups, and some men have seen a picture of her, and they think, wow, I fancy my chances here. She's an online dating that she dabbles, you know, every now and then but she's not interested she goes to the gym every now and then some guy you know fancies himself and thinks he's going to shoot his shot you know twice or three times a week when she's getting off the tube someone guy some guy says hey like blah 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 blah. so my point is is that there's so many orbiters uh, around that the average person these days that if you don't make your best foot forward on the first day you're going to be just like everyone else and you're going to be complaining just like everyone else, instead of actively doing something about it. Yeah. Amen. That's all I can say to that. It's so true. Have you, um, have you ever dealt with people who've got, got to the point where they get to a first date, they're, they're, they're okay, but often and more often than not, in fact, the majority of the time, they're just getting friend zoned. And so from the first date perspective, what do people do if they want to avoid at all costs? And I know this to a certain degree, you know, when your friends are on your friends and there's nothing you can do about it, but 
in order to minimize the chance of you being put into a friend zone, what would you say to people? And for both guys and girls, because it happens to everyone, I think, you know, yeah. to, to a certain degree. So what can people do to avoid being put in the friend zone? What is there's two things. So there's there's something called the Pygmalion effect, which I'm sure you know of is psychological term where whatever you that. think is going to be a reality, right? Mm. You have to assume that every date is going to be the best date ever. And this isn't something that comes lightly. You can't say it and it happens. This comes with, with months of repetition. This comes with this comes with being vocal in front of the mirror. You know, this comes with really training your brain to realize that. This is going to be the best days ever. So you, you have to psychologically train yourself every day to, before we, to do that. Before we go any further, actually, just because uh, I know what it is and I love it. It's one of the things I you talk to people a lot about is the Pygmalion effect. Just quickly, briefly, just tell people what is the Pygmalion effect? Because people need to know. Not, people, not a lot of people know what it is. And so tell people what it means. For sure. So uh, the Pygmalion effect is essentially whatever you think or speak into existence is eventually what's going to happen, right? So if you keep saying that, oh, uh, you know, first dates are bad, people don't really like me, they, they think I'm bad at communication, they think my fashion sense is crap, then they are gonna think you're bad at communication and they are gonna think your fashion sense is crap because what you think and what you feel is what you project. If I feel moody and I feel shitty, no matter how I try, I'm gonna be projecting that. If I don't feel confident, no matter how much I try, I'm going to be projecting that people can feed off energy, right? So you have to train your mind not to think that. And then the second part, when people keep having bad results, and, and this is why a lot of people struggle when it comes to dating coaches, you have to look at yourself and you have to be real. We live in a, in a society of social media where, you know, everyone pampers people to a point where it's not true, Right. So, you know, for example, if, if I had a deformity with my face, you know, if I put it on social media and I said, yeah, I'm out there and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to date, everyone would be like, yeah, man, you, you do it. Like, it's, that's awesome. Like, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure you're going to find someone, right? But in reality, you know, it, it sounds horrible to say, but there's a lot of people who aren't going to like me because I have a deformity with my face. That's, that's the truth, right? So, if you are that person, you have to be real with the fact that 50% of your options are gone. It has nothing to do with you. Don't take it personally. But you have to look at yourself and figure out by society standards, yes, it's not fair. Yes, it's messed up. What is What are things that could be taking points away from me that I have no choice on? This is what it is versus what are things that I can actively change about myself? And they call this uh, attraction maxing, right? Attraction maxing is when there are things within your power. So let's say if I had an unkept beard, you know, I had unkept hair, my fashion was shit, I had bad teeth, you know, uh, my breath stank, you know, I didn't have a job, you know, I didn't go to the gym, right? My communication. No, don't mince your words, by the way. <laughs> don't mince your words. Just carry on. <laughs> you know, I mean, like all of those things, I, have, I can max that. I can yeah, do attraction true. maxing. I can change all of those things. If I didn't have a social circle, I can change that, right? So when you look inside yourself, and I mean really look inside yourself, okay, and you tell yourself the truth, that's when everything changes because you're the only person that can do that. Your mom, your dad, oh, you're such a great person, Trey. You'll find someone. They're not going to tell you the truth. Your friends aren't going to tell you the truth. They're your friends. They're, they're the most biased people in the world, right? You have to look deep down 
Look at all the dating scenarios. Why didn't it work? Look at everyone you've ever been in a relationship with. Why didn't it work? Once you figure out that, everything will start to change. Because if you don't, you're going to be living in a world of delusion, which is why whenever I used to work with clients and they would say, oh, you know, everyone used to say, yeah, my, my ex was a narcissist. Everyone. So I'm like, if, if everyone's ex is a narcissist, who are the good people then? Like, yes. you know what I mean? If everyone's ex is an asshole, who, who's the good person here? Because the reality is, is that, you know, there's some circumstances where the, the other person might have dated an asshole, but it, it's never that black and white. It's never that black and white. And I started to learn, and you probably saw this as well, when you date a lot of people and they tell you why it didn't work out, if they're always the victim and they've never done anything wrong, that's your red flag right there. Because this person <laughs> isn't learning anything. They're not learning a single thing. And they're going to do the exact same thing with you. But the people who learn about themselves, the people who dig deep, the people who are constantly trying to develop, those are the people who are going to have happy, successful marriages and relationships because they work for it, as opposed to, well, I'm single because women are rubbish. Like, what does that help? <laughs> like, for real. It's true, right? And, you know, I'm sure you see it as much as I do on TikTok. All women are like this. All men are like this. And it's like, and you're like, uh, look, I, I get it. I get where you're coming from because, you know, we've all had horrible experiences that prompt us to to feel crappy. Um, but obviously, maybe five, ten years ago, I wouldn't necessarily put that on social media, whereas now people are. And then, as you said, Pygmalion Effect, it's becoming their reality. And for anyone out there, by the way, Pygmalion Effect is not just some nice self-development. Yeah, yeah, this is science-based stuff. It's about an experiment they did on school children telling these kids, these group of children in the classroom, they're going to be the highest achievers. Um, and those kids that they said were going to be the highest achievers ended up being the highest achievers, even though there was nothing actually telling them they were going to be, but this because they told them. And I'm glad you mentioned it as well, because actually this was a big part of my personal transformation, because my biggest thing when I, you know, prior to 2008, was uh, one for me was always my weight. No woman's ever going to love me because I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not a guy with a six pack. Uh, and two, maybe it's just my destiny. It's my kismet. It's my whatever to be single. And that's my higher destiny to help other people find someone. Right. That was my bullshit excuse right. I used to give myself. Right. Uh, but it was it was only when I started to look in front of the mirror and I started to just say to myself, I'm the sexiest fucking man alive. And I would say it with sincerity and I'd walk like freaking James Bond. I, I, when I was dating, I, I got to the level where I actually adapted my walk and changed my walk and the way I carried myself. That's how far I went. It wasn't, it, it was the internal world, but the external as well. You know, I tried to make the best of everything that I had. You know, I'm a tall guy and I've got, I'm big as well. I'm like a cuddly teddy bear, right? So I can use that to my advantage, uh, whatever else it was. Um, but I, the, the point was, I did something about it. You know, I worked on myself. I did the inner work, the outer work. I put it together as a whole package, as this thing that I could go in front of people and sell with confidence and not feel any sort of like, well, well, they like me. I'm not so sure. I, do, I don't you know that kind of thing, right? That Eventually, that was just wiped from existence in my personality. I, I walked in there assuming they're just going to fall for me head over heels. And and more often than not, that's what happened. And it's not, it's not me saying this from an arrogant point of view. It's saying this from I just believed in myself and who I was. And then suddenly, everyone was just changing the way they looked at me. Suddenly, I, was, I went from this guy that, to be honest, never got attention to suddenly a guy who's always getting attention. 
Um, although interestingly, right, I'll tell you a little funny story. So one of the um, first times I went to Vegas, I think it was 2009. Um, we went with it. Was, now I'm trying to remember if it was 2009 or 2015. So I've been like a few times. But there was one particular time I went with a friend of mine who um, he's uh, a sink. So he's got the full turban, everything right. And the full beard and everything. And when we were in LA and Vegas, that guy got all the attention you could possibly make. Like we, the, the the other three of us, we didn't get a chance, not even a look at, all the girls were just fascinated by his turban and beard. Like, I've never experienced that before as well. Like normally I was uh, really confident at this point. So it must've been 2015. I was really confident with myself, but he, this guy was getting all the attention and I was just thinking, fuck you, bastard. You get, you get right? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> How did this happen? Yeah. But it was, just, it was just hilarious, you know? And the thing is as well, like he's quite an easygoing guy anyway and he just you know took it in the way that it's intended and just had fun with it and didn't think too much about it and whatever um but it was just again he was just carrying himself so nicely like he was just and he's like i said he's such a laid-back guy like he was the same guy getting all his attention as if he didn't get the attention anyway he would just chill have a party with anyone and that was it uh because of that he got all this attention and you know it, i think just to circle around to the main point that when you work on yourself to that level then that's when things start to really happen and it goes to this point that if you're when i had um fuji and nikki on uh a couple of episodes ago they, they were talking about this if you get to the first date but you're not ready it's already too late you've got to do the work in advance beforehand you've got to get to that point before like you know people say oh this happened on the date what should i have done well you should have sorted yourself out beforehand in the nicest possible way <laughs> Uh, and that's the, tr but the, he, you know, that's the way Fuji put it. And, but he's right, actually, that is the truth. If you get to a point where you meet someone, you really like them and you're hoping it works out for them and he didn't, and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, why didn't it work out? Well, you weren't ready at the time. And, and that's the truth. Um, as hard as a, and a harsh truth it is, but it is actually the truth ultimately. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I mean, here's, here's the thing about that though. It's, it's blind luck in the sense that you could fail forward, right? At least that yeah. was my experience. When I first went out there, like I got a bunch of rejections because I was a freaking buffoon. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't shut up. I'd talk for like half an hour. Like, so tell me about you. Like after half an hour, I'm talking <laughs> my ass, right? Um, so I had to learn. Like I had to be like, huh, like why, why weren't they interested, right? Or you could like prep yourself up for like a month or so before you go because the reality is, is that there are always going to be people who are, you know, a bit more symmetrically blessed, who are literally going to be able to, to go there and, and do okay. <laughs> because like, I'll, I'll never forget, in fact, I had a story, right, where um, one of my friends, is his name's Charlie, good looking dude, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair, like a Chris Hemsworth, right? He's about 6'4", right, yeah, yeah. right? And I'm 6'1", so typically I'm the tall bloke, but with him, I'm like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, you feel small, right. don't you? You're like, damn it. Right, right, right. But he like, we used to make fun of him because Charlie was monotone, right? He could be excited. He was like, yeah, I'm super gassed, mate. Like, All right, mate. Like, Where's your Come on, oh, um, And he's boring. Charlie was boring, but we loved him because Charlie's a good guy. Like, you know what I mean? He's a good bloke. Um, you know, he's very reliable. And one time, you know, we went over, I, I kind of had my glass and raised it over to one girl. She raised it back. So I was like, okay, green light. So me and my friends come over and say, hey, can we join your friends for a drink, right? And uh, she's like, yeah, of course. 
So Charlie is, is talking and he's like, yeah, because uh, I went to the gym today. And one girl was like, boring as fuck. What the hell? And I just couldn't, I didn't get it right. And then I walked away and I was like, man, that really is how it is, huh? Like when you're when you're like a 10 out of 10, you know, person, there really isn't that much you have to do. However, for people like that, it's only like a month or two months after where the person who was initially attracted to them loses interest because they realize they were only attracted to them. My point being is that, you know, for, for people who look like me, I'm always going to have to go the extra mile. And, you know, a lot of people have to go the extra mile because a lot of people are average. That's why it's called average, because most people are like that. Right. But what's happening now is, if, is with social media and, and with society in general, everyone gasses themselves up unnecessarily. So now you have two types of people. You have the one type of person who has, you know, not a lot of self-confidence, doesn't want to put themselves out there. And then you have someone who is completely deluded on one scale and they're like, Trey, why can't I get dates? I'm like, because you have to simmer down. You're not, you're not all that. You still got a lot to learn. And you probably know that that's the difficulty of matchmaking and coaching in general. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you saw the tick. Uh, well, you probably didn't see it, but I put a TikTok video about three weeks ago and I was talking about this, that actually I hypothesized that the better looking you are, the worse you are at dating in general. Right? Yeah. Not always, but it kind of goes, there's yeah. like a middle ground. And then, you know, you get people who are really good looking or terrible. And you've got people who really are, are subjectively speaking what I'm talking about, right? People who don't believe in themselves, uh, not so good looking. And they're not so good either because they just don't have that confidence. But you get the people in the middle, like, for example, all the dating coaches I learned off when I was learning some of this stuff. They were all average looking guys, but they had just done the work. They just knew how to sp speak to a woman to get initiate and get a conversation going and just chat randomly about anything and get a dialogue going. And that's all that matters. Right. I think that the one thing that I, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I think I'm not, I am an ambivert, so to speak, but I'm technically probably an introvert and, you know, to be out there. I mean, I'm, I can be an extrovert in certain environments, of course. And, you know, uh, who is it that was saying it to me? The, the technical definition of an introvert versus an extrovert is that you get energy from whether you're alone or from whether you're with people. That's how you energize or re-energize, right? So that's the technical definition. Uh, and for me, I guess it's probably, this is why I'd say probably more of an introvert, but I can get both. This is why I'd say I'm an ambivert as well, but slightly more, slightly weighted to the introvert side. Um, so not always comfortable, uh, you know, making conversation and especially the worst for me is always one-to-ones, always one-to-ones, um, in a group of people, I can be crazy, loud, fun, brash, whatever, um, on my own, I just enjoy it. But when I'm in a one-to-one -one situation, that's where I always struggled. And that's what I had to work on. And that need to feel, I need to say something interesting right now. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to be, you know, all those kinds of overthinking that creeps in. Um, but you start to realize that actually when you're speaking to someone, you can just talk about anything. And in fact, actually, that's that that's an art to be able to converse about anything, about to talk about anything, to get uh, a beautiful connection going. Because you don't know. I mean, you don't know the person opposite you. You have no idea what's going to create a you know beautiful spark you could talk about something that you think is really inane or boring but actually to them they're like oh really that's quite fascinating you know and then the, the conversation just explodes from there but we we just don't know um but you have to find a way to engage with the person opposite you um 
But the worst thing is silence, because this is where people think things are complete. They're done, finished, over. It's not the necessarily the awkwardness. It's just the fact that, oh, we done now kind of thing. So that's why silence is so dangerous when it comes to dating or chatting up people or whatever. It's because they think that's the end. And so you have to find a way to keep the engagement going. And that's where people I find struggle the most is keeping that conversation, dialogue, the banter, the fun, the playfulness, and bringing out some of this stuff about yourself that... You know, you know, when I speak to people, I, you know, you know, I'm sure you've done it as well. When you coach people, you're like, so tell me about you. Tell me two, two or three things good about you. You know, what, what are you interested in? What do you like doing, etc. And they like right. talk about a couple of things and then they're like, all right, so tell me two more. And they're like, I don't know. Uh, and I'm like, no, there is more. But you just you just haven't you know, you don't know how to articulate it. Tell me. And then you dig and they realize, oh, yeah, there was a couple more things there as well. All right. Great. Tell me two more. And they're like. Oh, I don't know. And they're like, no, no, there is two more things. Great. Tell me, come on, you can do it. And then suddenly they got two more and that's because they were pushed to think about it. And so eventually they get to that point where like, because they've been pushed, they can now start to speak and converse with almost anyone. I completely went off on a tangent there, by the way. I know I'm, I'm probably <laughs> hey, hey, this is what this is about. If you're not going <laughs> off a tangent, exactly, right exactly. Exactly. Right. It is exactly that, right? I've just basically done what I'm talking about is just conversing, talking, you know, yeah. chatting breeze, chatting shit, it doesn't matter. You know, oh, so long as you see the person, you can, you know, you can use your intellect and see they're enjoying as well. Who cares, right? So, so funny. First of all, chatting breeze, you know, I, I need to speak to more British people besides my friends and family. Um, <laughs> but basically, right, the church, church, Winston Churchill's wife, um, she spoke to two prime minister candidates, right? And, you know, one of them was incredibly in, intelligent. You know, he's pulling statistical knowledge information out of his butt cheek, right? And he was talking about all the policies that he would enact if he was voted into power to be a prime minister. And the other prime minister was, was just talking about Winston Churchill's wife to her. And, you know, they one of the journalists said, you know, who, who are you going to vote for? And she obviously chose a person who spoke about her. And he said, why is that? She said, well, when I spoke to the first candidate, I believed he was the smartest man in the room and he would enact those policies. But when I spoke to the other person, he made me believe I was the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And, and when it comes to first dates, I always encourage people, look, you know a lot about yourself. You're passionate about yourself because you are yourself. But when you allow people to open up their passions when you make about 70% of the conversation about them and really dig deep on even the smallest facets of information that they give you, you begin to slowly master the art of conversation because there's something called um, innate reciprocity. And what that is, is that if I spend about half an hour to 45 minutes talking about you, it's only natural that eventually you're going to say to me, well, what about you, Trey? What's in what's important to you? And that's not because you're metaphorically bludgeoning them over the head to ask you questions, but you've just shown them, holy shit, Trey just spent 45 minutes generally trying to get to know me. I need to know everything about him. And what that does is that that enables an air of mystery, because when you leave, you know, he or she's going to be thinking, wow, like I I learned so much about myself and I opened up, but I still don't know anything about Trey. Ego second date. Brilliant. And I love that analogy, the, the Churchill analogy. That's a brilliant one. That we, we 
We found our sound bite of the podcast. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wish I knew the names of the prime ministers. I know one of them's hard, but I'll have to find this story somewhere. <laughs> yeah. We'll dig it out. We'll dig it out. Definitely. I think that's a, it's a great analogy, though. It's so true. Like I love the distinction. You know, they're the smartest versus they made me feel like the smartest. It's just I think that that's body. You couldn't put it a better way. I couldn't have put that definitely a better way myself. And I don't know why I said that because there's no chance I could have put it a better way. But but it's just it's just a great way of putting it and putting that person, making them your universe for that short space of time, your attention. Exactly. On them. You just oh my god, you put the nail on that. I should have said that. Making them their universe. And there's there's another. Um, a scientific facet called the other theory right and what that is is that you are placing yourself above that person unintentionally so i, I had a, a doctor client good looking dude doctor you're like holy shit like you the women will you be beating them off of a stick he was until they met him right? <laughs> yeah i was like yo what are you telling them in these conversations man? like i'm not gay but if i was like yeah bang you hard right but like he would say <laughs> he would tell me what he would say. And I was like, no, man, like you keep, if all you are as a doctor and you keep positioning yourself as a doctor and you're going on a date with a teacher, she's going to feel shitty because she's going to feel like, well, I'm a teacher making, you know, 45 grand a year and you're a doctor making 120K and she's going to feel like the other. So you don't distance yourself from that person. You never make yourself feel like the other. You always, always build upon commonalities with that person, right? So let's say if I meet someone and, you know, she is a, uh, a female model, right? And she travels across the world. I work a nine to five. I don't do that, right? But when she travels across the world, she loves movies. I'm like, holy shit, I love movies too. What have you seen? Okay, okay. No way, Jumanji with the Rock. I love that movie. I love that movie too. And then you're giving quotes about the movie. Oh, she reminds me. She says, "Oh, that reminds me of the other movie." No way, I've seen that movie. Oh, we've seen that movie too. And now you have a 20 minute tangent about something that is completely irrelevant, but you're together in how you feel about that movie, as opposed to that conversation of being the other. Because if you position yourself as someone who's far more intelligent far more superior and makes far more money than them, you might think it's going to impress someone, but it makes you the other. And now you're disqualified because the other person that they met has more in common with them. Yeah. And I think that's common on both from the male and female side in this day and age. I think it's very common, isn't it? It's more about where I've reached, what I've achieved, what I've done, whatever, where I am, where my status is, rather than it being the, the connection, the bonding, the, the real, you know, and, and sometimes it is the most mundane stuff that can connect you. Like you said, right? It's just talking about Jumanji or whatever. Who knows? <laughs> it could be absolutely anything that is just random that can connect you. But if you try and it's like the two things I say to guys, don't try and impress your date, but don't try and get sympathy either, because neither of those work. A, a, a little bit of impressing, you know, it's always, you know, it's always a good thing. But, yeah? A bit of sympathy is impressive. No, 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 a little bit of impressing, not sympathy, definitely. Oh, okay, okay. A little bit of impressing is okay, just really small amount. But no, sympathy, oh no, I say to guys, go on, please don't ever try and get the sympathy vote. It never works, it's never going to work in a million years. You'll, you'll, you'll get her, a mother, uh, you know, uh, for a while at best, and then that's about it. But, you know, it's not going to lead to a relationship. Because I, I get people who do that all the time. They go in, barrel in, talk about their life problems, what's going wrong in their life at the moment. I'm like... That isn't oh. going to cause any form of attraction whatsoever. You've got to put that 
side of your life aside for the first couple of days. Don't even tell them yet because this is why people get drained from dating because they're telling their shit that's going on in life over and over again to these first dates or whatever. And then they're wondering why they find dating draining is because you're telling your life story, all the shit that's going on in your life again and again and again. And that's why you're feeling crap about yourself in your life. Whereas if you talk about good stuff, feel good stuff, then actually you're going to be quite empowered, energized from that conversation. And you're going to enjoy dating more and you're going to want to do more of it. Right. And it's, it's so true, though. But you're right. You know, no need to impress or to you sympathy and what you said as well it's just just got to have a real conversation you know like you said there that the nice way you put it the other uh mentality as well so i love that i think that's a, be a beautiful way of putting it and a beautiful way to round off the conversation but to finish off um one last question and then we'll get all your details so people can reach out to you if they want to um um in terms of the first date, what's the most fundamental thing you can tell anyone just as a, a, a bite-sized piece of wisdom they can take away? The most important thing, thing that anyone can do when it comes to the first date. The most important thing is, is probably, uh, I call it LSL. So it's listen. I mean, you know, really listen, uh, smile and laugh. It, it really is that simple. If you leave a first date and you don't laugh, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Uh, if you don't smile, you're not showing a, a good sign. Statistically, people trust people who smile, specifically with their teeth. And listen, most people don't get listened to. They don't get listened to at work. They barely get listened to by their siblings or family. You need to stand out. Don't listen to respond. Just listen and always restate what they said. Those are the keys to any perfect friendship, relationship, and especially in a dating scenario, if you can master those three things, then you're going to be seen as an incredibly attractive person. I love that. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful way to round off. LS, LSL, la, uh, sorry, um, listen, smile and laugh. And I think that's just perfect, really. A great way to sum it up. I love that. So how, how can people reach, reach you or connect with you and tell everyone where they can get hold of your book, The First Date Fix? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's very cliche. You can find the first date fix on amazon.com uh, or amazon.co.uk. Got to give it to my British people as well. You can uh, add me on, on TikTok, the first date fix, Instagram, the first date fix, website, the first date fix.com. Um, and, and yeah, always happy to, to answer questions and, and help people on their journey because the reality is, is that we're all on the exact same journey. Uh, it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. And if I can help you get there faster, I would love to do that. I love that. Great way to finish off as well. And I really appreciate your time and coming on the Feeling Spoiled, Feel in Spoiled, Feel Inspired podcast, uh, Trey. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad I am glad I found you on uh, TikTok now. And I'm sure definitely if you're up for it, we should do a live on there at some point as well. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for your time. Like I've, I've really enjoyed this session since. Yeah, uh, definitely. Me too, as well. For anyone who's catching the tail end of this, you can always watch the replay or do not worry. The audio will be available on all podcast platforms within 24 hours. So, uh, so you can always listen back when you're on your way to work or in the car or wherever. So, but once again, Trey, Pleasure to have you on board on the field. You're famous, mate. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm going to buy your book, by the way, Rewire Your Brain for Wealth. Oh, um, cheers, I'm man. Yeah. Planet. Yeah, it was what I wrote quite a few years ago, people. but it's uh, it's still relevant then as 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 I wrote it as it is today. So yeah, definitely appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Of course, yeah. Have a good one. Uh, really appreciate it.
Uh, I think you're right. Stay with me. I'm going to end the broadcast. But to everyone else, I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you on the next episode. Ciao for now.